0: Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? You desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for joining me in another episode of the Cashflow Ninja podcast, Please check out all of our past episodes. There's over 650 of them now at CashflowNinja.com. We have a ton of tools, resources, uh, and uh, a lot of information about our community. Everything available at CashflowNinja.com. I've got another fantastic show with a great guest, returning guest on the Cashflow Ninja show. He's been on the show a number of times, Mauricio Roald. Uh, if you go to CashflowNinja.com and search for Mauricio, you'll find all of the other previous conversations that we had. I would highly recommend you check it out. Mauricio, great to have you back. How have you been?
1: Always good to be here, thank you been good been uh, you know finally getting back in the swing of things, which is nice
0: Absolutely now for new listeners and viewers not familiar with you and what you do, can you please just give them a little bit about your background and journey
1: Yeah, I mean look'm I'm, I'm essentially I'm a syndication attorney which is just a sort of a, a common way to say'm I'm a, I'm a securities lawyer, right so so my job is is I typically help real estate investors, raise capital. You know, real estate investors who are looking to scale their business and they want to jump from single family homes to to something bigger, multifamily usually, or or other asset classes. But they want to go raise capital now to to go do those bigger deals. And My job is to make sure that they they do that in full compliance with federal and state securities laws. And um, I'm known a little bit like the anti-lawyer just because, you know, I'm actually, my buddy Tom Wheelwright likes to say, I'm one of the few lawyers that actually speaks English. So that's kind of my, my little thing where I I tend to be able to explain these like really esoteric mundane statutes and stuff and just make it a little bit easier to understand so that the audience can at least get a, you know, the context and contextualize what exactly is going on so they can have intelligent conversations with their own, with their own attorneys.
0: Absolutely. Make it very, very palatable and interesting. And uh, Mauricio is also a great teacher. He's part of a lot of different communities and so forth. And he teaches, in the secrets of syndication workshop and and course that the real estate real estate guys offer uh, he's one of one of the leading teachers in that program so honored to have you back on and talk a little bit about it because one of the things that you alluded to when people are starting to raise capital for deals this is where your expertise come in and if you really want to break it down of what you do is you keep people out of prison that's raising money <laughs> and they might not even know that they could go to prison, right?
1: Yeah, that's actually, you know, I just, as you know, I just, I uh, finally wrapped up my book, uh, The Five Things Every Syndicator Must Know to Stay Out of Jail. And the one, the number, the first thing that I talk about in chapter one is, is people not even realizing that they're issuing securities. They're like, wait, wait a minute. Why is why do I, why do I even have to worry about the SEC? I'm just buying a piece of property. I'm buying my little single family or multifamily. What is this business about securities? Why do I need a securities lawyer? Um, and as I explain in the book, you know, the definition of a security is really broad under the SEC. It it includes everything that you think about as security: stocks, bonds, mutual funds, all that stuff. But it also includes, you know, TIC agreements, or, you know, profit sharing agreements, you know, um, handshakes, high-fives, side agreements, you know, anything. The structure itself doesn't matter. And I think that's what gets, gets people caught up a little bit. They call it a joint venture. They call it a note. They call it something else. But at the end of the day, if you're raising capital from passive investors where the returns are generated by your efforts, you're doing all the work, your investors are just writing a check and going home, That's a textbook definition of a security, and once you realize that, then you've got to go through all the compliance, uh, you know, rigmarole. Investors, don't sleep on this market and trends. Did you know that in many cities across the U.S., renters now outnumber owners, and demand will only increase. More and more will be renting in droves, and it's putting the squeeze on a tight rental market. 4Peaks Capital Partners has been successfully investing in this proven recession-resistant sector for years, providing investors with passive income and capital appreciation. Protect your portfolio and invest in private real estate funds, because the demand for affordable housing will only increase. Invest with 4Peaks and let us do all the work. Find out more by calling 877 income That's 877 income Or visit PrivateIncomeInvesting.com.
0: That's PrivateIncomeInvesting.com. Uh, Absolutely. And I think that that's the biggest thing for folks out there that might not even know that they're involved with the security and and could could end up in prison. uh, And they were just uh, engaging in the the business of real estate. So uh, some of the other things that syndicators should know to keep them out of prison. One of the things I think this one might be an interesting one in one of the chapters in your book, you talk a little bit about uh, advertising, and how the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, really is a zero-tolerance policy. If maybe you want to share a little bit more information on that, because I see a ton of stuff on social media. Uh, a lot of folks, again, you know, might not even know that they're not supposed to do what they're doing.
1: Yeah, and, just, and like, let me just preface a little bit. I, I You know, I, I chose a, a kind of a controversial title, obviously, to get some attention. You know, the, the odds of you going to jail are very slim unless you're defrauding. I mean, if you're intentionally trying to take your investors' money and defraud them, that's when you end up with the stripes. Usually if you're violating something, you're, but, but my point is that they're serious. Like you, violating securities is are very serious business and people kind of take them lightly, which is why I really wanted to get people's attention with that, but yeah, let's talk about advertising. You know, j- just to be current on this, on this podcast, uh, we just found out yesterday that our good friend, uh, you know, Grant Cardone, who as you know, is a really well known, uh, not only a real estate investor and developer, but also big on social media, right? And he's gotten into a lot of hot water with his advertising on social media. And he's actually allowed to advertise, right? So as we talked about in other episodes, and I encourage people to go check those out, once you realize you're, you're dealing with a security, you've got to pick an exemption because nobody's going to register the security. So you pick an exemption, and most people pick an exemption that prohibits Advertising. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about in a second. So we pick an exemption called the 506B, which is what 95% of people pick. And it's a great exemption, but your big limitation is you cannot advertise. So you cannot go on social media. Grant Cordon uses a different exemption that actually allows him to advertise, and he's still got into issues or is still getting into hot water. There's a class action lawsuit now against him uh, because the way he was advertising, even though he was allowed, was very allegedly misleading he was promising things that he you know didn't have a reasonable basis to believe in or is really kind of exaggerating or maybe left some things out so even when you can advertise on social media you've got to be careful so even you guys out there doing five or six C's don't think that's just a blanket permission to go do whatever you want but let's go back to social media I think it's I think chapter three of the book talks about you know or maybe chapter two talks about uh, you know Realizing that you cannot post things on social media or do what we're doing. We you know if, if I have an offering And I'm selling my syndication. I can't go on your podcast and talk about my my, my deal And I can't even what's called condition the market. So I can't even get people excited You know, there, there's ways that you can communicate where you don't actually specifically reference the deal but you can tell that you're kind of drumming up interest about either your current deal that you've got going or maybe a future deal that's around the corner. You know, maybe you're talking about prior returns and how awesome you are and how your investors are doing really well with what you're doing and hey, we have another deal around the corner. And that's where people, I think, get into a lot of trouble with social media. My recommendation, hands down, is if you have an active, an active deal, something that you're raising, actively raising money for, I would just stay off of social media. Too many gray areas uh, and the risk, I think, and the risk reward ratio just isn't there. You know, yes, post about your family and your kids and your cats and your dogs or whatever, but just don't, I would just stay off and talk. If you're a real estate investor, syndicator, just stay away from that. In between deals, when you're not having something officially, then there are certain things that I think are okay to post on social media. You know, for example, you know, factual information about you or your company is always, is, always a, is a green light. I mean, the SEC recognizes, you know, you've got a brand, you've got, you know, business to run, and certainly talking about you, your brand, or even sometimes just what you're up to in, in the company, you know, if you've got a, whatever your deals are, um, properties are. Uh, but the other one, which is my favorite, which I know you, 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 you will agree with this as well, because it's what we do, is just value add, right? Post things on social media that don't, not only don't talk about a deal, that really don't talk about you at all, but it just adds a ton of value. So, for example, nothing wrong with posting, you know, you know, why real estate if that's your thing? Why real estate is the greatest asset class of all time? Why mobile home parks or why multifamily is a great asset class? Why Florida is a great marketplace? Why Dallas is a great marketplace? Why whatever? Pure value add. People, something that people really find interesting that are willing to actually you know, exchange information, you know, cell number, your, your phone number or an email to get that information from you. And then you've got an email, right? Then you can start having a conversation with them offline. But if you go, I think it's chapter four of the book, we'd go through like, there's some steps that you need to take once you kind of meet them legally, take them off social media, or if you meet them at an event or you meet them at the coffee house, whatever, there's about eight steps that you want to take them through to really get to know them. Because the, the way around, and that sounds nefarious, the way you avoid the, the allegation that you that you advertise is by having a substantive relationship, a pre-existing substantive relationship with your prospect. And that means you've, you've known him for a while and you've gotten to know him really well and, and you've figured out that they're sophisticated.
0: Uh, so on the, the the Cardone thing, that's uh, Grand Cardone and he's known for – you know, as, as the Icarus, you know, always flying close to the sun, the wings are going to melt at some stage. <laughs> but, uh, and obviously, he's, he, you know, he, he, is, uh, he puts a lot of stuff out there. I don't know how he, he's able to do it, but he's constantly uh, on social media. But so there was a, you, you mentioned there was a class action lawsuit, and this was just of the way that it was presented, and he was raising capital. Did it have to do something to that he was raising capital from non accredited investors to?
1: No. So, again, no, so he, he's allowed to do that. So originally, if you follow Grant, originally, if you notice, he was only selling to sort of high net worth individuals. In fact, originally his, his minimums were 250 grand because he was literally selling to high net worth. He was relying on an exemption that a lot, not a, a lot of people do rely on, which is a 506C. 506C allows you to advertise, allows you to do all the social media stuff. It just limits you to accredited investors only. And you've got to verify, you can't just take their word for it. That's 506C, which we talked a lot about, I think, in our first episode. Uh, Grant actually then pivoted a little bit, and I don't know if he continued to do 506Cs, but then he started doing sort of a mini registration where he's allowed to actually, once he gets it through the registration process, which takes about six to nine months, he's allowed to then advertise, and he's allowed to accept non-accredited investors with some limitations, you know, 10% of the net worth or, or the, or the things. So that's how he was legally getting people in the door uh, and, and you know thousands I think you know I was looking at the the complaint and I think one of one of his funds had over two thousand people and a lot of them put in five grand or two grand like it's, it's really you're dealing with a lot of small amounts but he's he's allowed to do that under this exemption called reg a regulation a um, his from at least what I can see from the allegations that what they're complaining about is this he, he got a little they're alleging he got a little bit out of, out of out of got a little too excited about the way he was presenting stuff, and he was kind of promising the moon. He was like, "Hey, invest with me." I don't think he ever used the word guarantee, but hey, I'll get you fifteen percent here. I'll I'll triple your money. Those kind of statements, which you know, can be construed as as misleading. So it's not the fact that he advertised; it's the fact because he actually got an approval from the SEC to do it. It was more about the allegation that he that he kind of you know misled the public. Uh, when he was making his social media posts and promising the world when he really didn't have any basis to believe that. And now, of course, with the with COVID and everything, you know, everybody's having a little bit of a hard time, you know, hitting those those numbers because, you know, right now everybody's just trying to stay afloat and, and try and keep distribution going. You know, you know. so anyway, so that, that's the thing with him. But, but the, the lesson for me there is more about even when you're allowed to advertise, there's a lot of landmines that you have to navigate. You know, what I talk about in the book is when you can't even advertise, period right, which is the five six B. You don't even try and get queued. Here you can advertise, but that's not a, just because you can advertise doesn't mean you can just post anything you want. You still gotta be careful about these anti-fraud provisions.
0: We are living through unprecedented times. And many experts say that in the coming months and years, we're about to see some of the best real estate opportunities of our lifetime. Who's going to benefit the most from these opportunities? those with access to capital which is where the real estate accelerator comes in brought to you by good egg investments the real estate accelerator is an online course and mastermind that will give you everything you need to raise private capital for real estate syndications through building a killer brand that attracts the right investors you'll be able to take advantage of the upcoming opportunities and scale your business to learn more check out CashflowNinja.com forward slash good day. Yeah, and I think the other lesson that's there too for folks listening is that you need to absolutely know what you're investing in. Um, I think that sometimes folks get caught up emotionally into some advertising or promises or returns and that kind of stuff. When you're investing in real estate, to your to your point, uh, we had a we had a pandemic hit, hit earlier this year And now you have operators, which good operators have contingency plans, and maybe some of them, because they're good stewards of capital, looked at the big picture and said, all right, we're going to hold off on distributions until we figure out what's going on, how long this is lasting, look at our rent collections, you know, cut expenses, renegotiate contracts, you know, do all the things that good operators are supposed to do, but now all of a sudden there might be folks that wait a sec that <laughs> that didn't understand that that's even a possibility because again of the, you know, a little bit of the hype and the, the misleading ad- advertising so i think one of the other core things too is always know what you're investing in and the downside and all the different angles which should be sort of you know under the 101 section right
1: yeah and even even above that i, I always tell when i'm talking to you know passive investors who are who are looking to invest in one of these offerings is Probably the most important thing is just doing your due diligence on the operator, on the syndicator, because it all comes down to their experience. Have they done it before? Are they they good stewards of your money? Have they gone through a, a past recession? Have they had some hard times? How do they deal with hard times? I mean, you know, you can probably make most of your investment decision first on the operator, the sponsor. You know, can they pull out? Because anybody can put together a business plan. The question is, can you execute on it? Uh, And then once you're comfortable with the sponsor, then you start looking at the investment itself, whether it's the right asset class, if it's in the right market, the right structure. Uh, But that's where the due diligence comes in, which is super important. You know, as a passive, you do all the work up front. You know, once you sign the papers and send the the, the check-in, you're done. But all the work has to happen up front, getting into those relationships with the sponsors, getting to know them, feel comfortable with them. And then obviously understand the investment that they're offering you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Another one uh, aspect that you cover in your book, too, is about uh, the importance of understanding that it's a security and that unlicensed people cannot be compensated, be paid to raise money for syndicators.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's look, it's very tempting when You're raising capital, you know, especially when you're starting and, and, you know, maybe you start in your first one, you get all your friends and family and people, you know, and you're able to put together a small syndication. But then when you do your second and third and, you know, at some point, it's very tempting when you need to raise a bunch of more money when somebody approaches you and says, hey, you know, I've got a million bucks that I can pull together for you. I've got some investors over here and I've got relationships and they're looking for something. You know, if I send you this million dollars or two million dollars. You know, can you compensate me? Can you give me a referral fee? Or can you give me a percentage of your deal or something like that? And what you have to keep in mind, which is what I talk about in the book, is, you know, the only people who can receive sort of what we call transaction-based compensation, which is just, hey, I'll give you money in exchange for you giving me, you know, investors that invest with me, is if you're a licensed broker-dealer, which, of course, Nobody, not that nobody is, but most people who, who have people to refer you to don't, are, don't have that license. And so anytime you do that, you're violating the, 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 the really the, the FINRA rules and the SEC rules regarding compensation to brokers. The way around that, and again, I use the way around, it's, it's kind of nefarious, but, you know, obviously if you're the issuer, if you're the one who's putting this together and it's just you, then you're going to be the issuer and you're going you're to rely on an issuer exemption because you're not, you're not raising money for anybody else, you're raising money for yourself. And then even if you're the manager or the sponsor or one of the executive teams that are raising money for the, the company, there's other exemptions that you can find. But you, you've got to be a real legitimate co-sponsor to get to fit within these exemptions. You've got to be doing real work. You've got to be doing what we call substantial duties. And your primary role better be something other than raising money. So it's just become a kind of a little bit of a pandemic, <laughs> no pun intended, that started last year or maybe I started talking about it early last year and it's just becoming, you know, just like this whole, the Cardone thing's interesting, but, but actually the Cardone is a private cause of action. The SEC is looking very closely at this compensation model. Because a lot of syndicators are doing it. A lot of s- coaches are teaching it. Very open. They they're not trying to hide anything, and they're just not realizing that what they're doing violates the broker-dealer rules.
0: Now, you'd mentioned earlier uh, something about a pre-existing relationship. With with that, and you you'd go into this into a chapter in your book too, because this is very very important. Because a lot of folks, again, there's there's a lot of things that they don't know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Maybe you want to elaborate just on the importance of knowing. Uh, what constitutes a pre-existing substantive relationship.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't know what you don't know, which is why I wrote the book, Five Things You Must Know (laughs) as a Syndicator. Again, when you're relying on an exemption that does not allow you to advertise, the most common way that you prove you did not advertise is by having this pre-existing relationship, this pre-existing substantive relationship. And this is one of the few areas uh in that the sec has actually given us some really concrete guidance like the sec usually is very very broad it's very gray you don't really know what they're what you're supposed to do here they gave you eight steps they're like here are the eight steps that if you follow these uh and it's you know it's up to you to, to, to to document it it's up to you to do the work and it's up to you to decide when you get to a certain point but if you follow these eight rules then then that's how you establish a substantive relationship which then allows you to offer a future deal because you still can't offer them any deal you have now because you have to have a pre-existing substantive relationship, and that means pre-existing an offering. So once you start an offering, you can't bring any more people through this method anyway. And so the two most important ones are the, is number one is you typically want to send them a really detailed questionnaire uh, and I decided to just attach to my ebook a, a questionnaire that I encourage people to use if they want to or incorporate with whatever they have. But it's a really, it's not just, hey, are you accredited? How much money do you make? It's a really detailed Questionnaire that really tries to understand their financial situation, what their investment goals are, what their investment experience is. Very similar to when you open a brokerage account and you're trying to get an options account or a margin account, a detailed questionnaire. And then the idea is that once you have that questionnaire that you get on the phone call with, or a cup of coffee or lunch. I mean, these days you're probably doing the phone call or a Zoom call. and Maybe it's more than one, maybe it's two or three. Where you're going through the questionnaire, you're asking all these questions of this of the potential investor. They're asking questions about you. What's your philosophy? What's your experience? And, and you're just generally fostering this back and forth where you're trying to get to know each other. As a syndicator, I want to know: Are you sophisticated? Are you, is this a suitable investment for you? Do you have the level of expertise and knowledge that that you can evaluate the risks and the and, and the and the reward, the merits of the of the, of the deal. And then as the prospective investors, you know, who are you? You're a syndicator. Are you any good? Do you have experience? You know, what what what, what, what type of investments do you do? And then at some point you say, look, I got it now. You know, I, this person, we've, we've spoken enough on the phone. We've, we've, we've emailed each other. They've checked out, checked us out. We've checked them out. We have a substantial relationship. And then you can kind of, in my mind, you want to keep, you know, you want to keep a, either a spreadsheet or a, C, a CRM, right? At some kind of database or something. And at that point, you can kind of move them in from this restricted pool of people that you don't really know very well put them onto your kind of clean list and your future deal you can then start offering them deals.
0: The other thing that you point out in your book a little bit too is talk about templates and using other people's documentation and kind of just uh, you know throwing it all together like you grab some duct tape and putting together something (laughs) why is that a bad idea?
1: Well, you know the main document, which is a PPM, right? A private placement memorandum. That's a disclosure document, and, and I think of a, well, I always give the analogy of the PPM being like a medical consent form, like when you go into surgery, they give you that le- yellow sheets of all the ways you could you could die or get infections, and that's what a PPM is. But in and of itself, you know, the other analogy I like to give is it's like a pipe, like. It's not that the the pipe itself doesn't do anything. You've got to fill the pipe with something, right? And so you've got to fill that PPM with relevant disclosures, risk factors, disclosures about the the deal, a disclosure about you. Um, And the only way you... Get the attorney the only way i know how to do that is have a, com- a really several conversations with you where i pull that information from you i ask you a bunch of questions i go through your business plan we we tear that thing apart we really understand your deal and we can put all that information in the, in the business plan that's relevant to your particular thing if you just grab I mean, you can get you can go on any you can go on the internet and pull a ppm out but it's kind of worthless and i know people who have done that because I know people who have used mine, you know, I've sometimes a shared templates of my PPMs, you know, at events, or, you know, sometimes as part of a, of a package I do, or whatever. And I've had conversations where they're like, yeah, I just took your PPM and changed the names and, and I'm good. And I'm like, no, that's a very generic PPM. It's got some generic things, but it, Talked nothing about your particular deal, your particular loan product, your particular area, your your experience, your you know. Did you have a bankruptcy that you didn't disclose? I mean, failure to disclose because you don't know what you don't know. If you put out a document that omits or fails to provide information that you were supposed to provide, now you're in violation of securities laws. Camaplan is one of the leaders for personalized
0: tax deferred and tax free IRA planning. Camaplan's team can assist you. control of your retirement funds and financial future through self-directed investing. They offer support to clients throughout the entire process, from opening your first account, to making your first purchase, to self-managing your assets. Camaplan works with a growing network of investment providers in all asset categories and offer free investor education through classes, events, and webinars with over 15 years of leadership and self-directed retirement investing. Camaplan will help you unlock a convenient and safe way to manage your retirement investments and discover financial freedom beyond traditional investments, beyond Wall Street, and go from forever taxed to never taxed. Start to take control over your retirement funds and financial future today by visiting cashflowenergy.com forward slash camera plan. Now, the other thing that I was very interested in in having a conversation with you too, Mauricio, is there's recently been changes to uh, the designation of uh, being an accredited investor. Maybe if you just want to talk a little bit about that, what it entails and the the recent update and how it
1: affects investors, how it affects uh, syndicators, so they recently finalized rule. They actually came out with these rules back in December of last year. Um, I remember posting about them. And the, they typically start with preliminary kind of here's our temporary rules. They ask for comments, and then they come out with final rules. And they came out with these last month in in August. And so what essentially they did really, you know, they, they 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 updated a lot of the little rules. But the ones that really affect us the most, because uh, other you know other things have to do with like family offices and things that you don't really pertain to most of us. There's really two areas. One of them, probably the most important or, or potentially important one is that, you know, right now, the, for individuals, you, it's all income or net worth. It's your financials, right? You've got to have a million dollars in net worth, excluding your primary residence, or you've got to have earned $200,000 the last two years with a reasonable expectation of earning that this year. A lot of controversy about that. It's like, well, why should money matter? I know a lot of rich people who are complete morons. I know a lot of people who are poor who are smarter than everybody in the room, right? So that may not be the best metrics. They finally come out and say, okay, we agree. We're going to have these certification programs where a non-accredited investor is going to be able to take some kind of a a course or some kind of a program that's going to be given by an authorized, you know, licensed certification institution. We, We just don't know what that looks like yet. Uh, and then at the end of that course, whether it's, a, we don't know if it's a weekend course, if it's a week long, a semester, a year, we don't know what that looks like, but there's going to be some certification that you get at the end of that process that says now you are an accredited investor because you've, you've just studied and you've passed an exam and, and you're good to go. That's not there yet. It's kind of opened up the idea for that, but the SEC has not yet designated any institutions or any programs with that designation yet. So we don't have any idea what it's going to look like, and it certainly does not exist right now. What they did say, though, is they, they did the first little, the first little um, a group of people that would qualify, and those are people who are essentially investment advisors. Uh, people who already have these licenses. There are essentially three specific licenses that I mentioned. It's a Series 7 license, a Series 65, and a Series 82. Um, you know, these are different basic securities licenses that you can get from FINRA. And so if you have one of those licenses, you're, you're, you're good. You're in good shape. Once this thing takes an effect, which would probably be at the end of October, you're going to be accredited even if if you don't, you don't fulfill the the net worth or income requirement. Uh, And if you wanted to, in theory, like if you're a passive investor and you really want to invest in a lot of these deals, you could go get yourself a series seven license. I don't think it's, that complicated you've got to study for an exam and you've got to pass it and then you know you've got to apply and become a member of FINRA which has some compliance to it right I mean that's the whole idea but it's more of an exciting as a potential because it it, even though it doesn't exist now somewhere down the line whether it's next month next quarter next year the SEC is going to periodically come up with a list of institutions and 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 let us know you know this is how you can become accredited. so that's kind of exciting. Um, the other part that, that potentially could affect us, but at least for my, most of our, my clients, doesn't really apply, but I want to address it because people got excited about it. There's an addition to what's called a knowledgeable employee. If you're a knowledgeable employee, then maybe you, you, you would become uh, an accredited investor even if you're not, you know, you don't have the, the net worth or income. The problem is in our world, The issuer, the person who's raising the capital, they don't have any employees. They just created the entity. They usually create a brand new company last week, and there's certainly no employees. I mean, usually the sponsors themselves aren't even employees of the issuer, and certainly you wouldn't you know if you have a passive investor that's not accredited you're not going to hire them as a w2 employee and pay them a salary and suddenly they're an employee you know you're an employee and they're knowledgeable so it really is targeted to exist think of facebook for example facebook before it went public you know they they were raising capital they were a startup they had a company facebook had a lot of employees not as many as they do now but they had you know tens if not hundreds of employees and there's probably a few of those employees who were involved in in the money raising and who were really sophisticated that maybe didn't have the net worth uh, and, and income, and now they would be under this rule, they would become accredited by nature of being this knowledgeable employee. But I think for most of, at least in my world, the way we structure things for real estate syndications, I don't think that's gonna be effective anyway. Um, and then the other ones are really, the other exemptions are just kind of cleaning up a little bit of things we already knew about. Like, L, you know, for example, LLCs were not part of the statute, and now they've officially become part of the statute. Um, so things we've already knew due to some interpretations. But those are the big two ones. And again, the exciting part is not what, we, not what was passed last, necessarily what was passed last month, but what is coming down the pipeline at any minute. It could be any, any day we could get a, not a ruling, a, a notice, well, however they do it. And they're going to issue a statement saying, hey, now, go to this ABC licensed uh, institution, go get, take, take their course, take their exam, get the certification, and now you would be accredited, you would be an accredited investor.
0: Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Uh, um, what was kind of interesting too, there was a, a foreign company that established uh, questions. I had a conversation with someone. He is a company that they accept investors to. And even though they're accredited investors and they have certain income levels, they still have like, I think it was a list of five to 10 questions. That they send them, and if they can't answer those questions correctly, then <laughs> then they know that they can definitely not uh, invest right. or participate in the offering that they have. So it's also kind of like a screening mechanism. But it's interesting how this is this is unfolding, and folks that do have the knowledge and, like you said, are sophisticated, but they just didn't qualify on the on on the basis of their income or network, they'll be able to participate in in investments in the future so it's exci- it's pretty exciting that it, a, a big opportunity will be open up for a, a lot of folks
1: yep I totally agree and uh, looking forward to seeing what that looks like cuz again I don't I don't know if it's a weekend getaway or if it's a you know a, a 6 week course we I have no idea
0: you never know you never know, know. <laughs> uh, Mauricio, this has been a blast where can folks uh, get a copy of uh, the book 5 things Every syndicator must know to stay out of jail, can people that are interested in raising capital and learning how to do that. And then also uh, find out more about your services. Where, where can they connect and, Get in touch
1: yeah i think the ebook i think if you just email me i set up a special email it's at jail at premierlawgroup.net jail at premierlawgroup.net that'll automatically send you a copy of the book uh and then if you are looking for more content or stuff i have a youtube channel i'd love for you to go check that out and subscribe it would be awesome and if you're looking to connect with me premierlawgroup.net is our website and there's a contact us and i'm happy to hop on a call and and, and run you through what uh, what you're trying to do
0: fantastic well i really appreciate you coming back on the show and just sharing all of this knowledge with us and giving us an update too on the accredited investor piece of it. I know I got a lot of inquiries about that from our community. So appreciate that. And for all of our listeners and viewers out there, thank you so much again for spending your most valuable resource, your time once again with us on the show. Please check out all of our past shows. There's over 650 of them at CashflowNinja.com. It's CashflowNinja.com along with community tools and resources. Until next time, live infinitely.